Hello and welcome to episode 58, or 59, I guess this would be, because it'll be a separate episode of the Skippers View podcast. My name is Dean. My name is Brett. And we have our first guest here today, uh, Adam Lazarus. Is that how you pronounce it? Lazarus? Lazarus. Lazarus. Okay. Ooh, biblical. Uh, who is the <laughs> author of The Wingmen, The Unlikely, Unusual, Unbreakable Friendship Between John Glenn and Ted Williams. Uh, so we're here to kind of talk about that. And I think right off the bat, like I'm interested, you said Ohio, you're from Ohio. Is that where like the John Glenn interest comes in? Sure. Um, I, I, I was always fascinated by John Glenn, um, the right stuff. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, we had to do a project in school on, it was the presidential election of 1992, but we had to do a whole project on all the candidates. And one of them was John Glenn. So I remember having to learn about him in grade school, sixth grade, I think it was. Um, but uh, the, the, I didn't really like go out and seek this, in, this, this topic. I just saw the photo. It's a photo that's actually in the book uh, of Ted Williams mm-hmm. and John Glenn. And I knew a little bit about, I mean, I knew a lot about Ted Williams because I'm a big baseball history guy, uh, even from a young age. Um, uh, but I didn't know any of this story until I started researching it. Yeah. So I guess, so that's me and Brett were both wondering, you haven't written any baseball books prior to this, correct? It's mostly mm-hmm. football and then you dabbled mm-hmm. in golf, it seems. Mm-hmm. So what's what's the motivation into kind of jumping into into baseball? Well, I you know I always wanted to do baseball was my first love ever since I was a kid. Uh, I I wanted to do I've always wanted to do a baseball book. Uh, you know it, it you know it, it it's great to start with a major figure like Ted Williams, um, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the base obviously that's where a lot of the baseball side of the story comes from. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, it's not just a baseball book. Uh, there's a lot to the, the Ted's military career and and his relationship with John Glenn, and then there's a lot with John Glenn. But um, you know, Ted Williams is always one of the the figures that loomed largest in my memory when it comes to baseball history. You know, mm-hmm. he's the Red Sox. Um, I used to I used to visit Massachusetts, uh, Cape Cod, actually, when I was a kid, so I knew all about Ted Williams's. Uh, we used to go to the Hall of Fame, and there's only back then there were only two statues, and one was a Babe Ruth, and one was a Ted Williams. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it was a little bit of a challenge to to do a baseball book because I hadn't done any baseball books before, so uh, getting some of the connections with people who I needed to talk to and do the research. Uh, but it was a real treat for me. Um, again, I mean, it, this isn't a baseball book per se because it's yeah. not page one to the end about about baseball, but there is a lot of Ted Williams history and baseball history in the book and particularly things that, uh, you know, that are sort of the lesser known parts of his career you know, everybody knows about 406 and the home run in his final bat and those mm-hmm. things. But, uh, this book has uh, a good deal of, um, some of the, the post-war years is particularly 1957 is a, is a major point in the book for a variety of reasons. But I think that's one of the, the things that should be talked about more with Ted Williams is hitting 388 in 1957 at the age Wait, of 39. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it read very much like the first chapter, like the, uh, the kid by, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, and Bradley Bradley. Yeah. that was my first, that was my first like Red Sox baseball history book that I, mm-hmm. that I've read. So when I was reading this, I was like, wow, this is like, I, I feel, and I love that book. I love this book. But like you said, it, it definitely, it takes like turns and you, it, especially as the book goes on, it goes into very much into John's political career. Uh, and then like the relationship between them post-war and everything, which I thought was beautiful. And we'll get to that. But yeah, I, I think one thing early on in the baseball, I didn't know about the home run that he hit prior to, uh, going back to Korea Yeah, early on. That was cool. Cause I know the home run obviously at the end of his career. Well, yeah, he hit a home run the day he left for Korea, his last game. And then it was actually his second at bat back. He, he, he pinned you he came back from Korea. He, he pinch hit in one game and popped up. And then in the second game, he had a home run. Uh, so yeah, it was, it didn't take long for him to get back into the swing of things. Um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting that, you know, his career really did end for the most part. People really thought there was no chance he'd come back from Korea. Yeah. He was 33 years old. He, he, who knew how long the war was going to last? Um, who knew if he'd survive, who knew if he'd come back able to play again? Uh, yeah. and he had a home run in his way out, which was a lot of the, you know, the guys are like, Oh, this is a storybook ending, obviously. Yeah. And then he does it again at the end of his, when he really retires, yeah, uh, really retires. seven years later, eight years later. 
Well, I, I think he was resigned to the fact that he was going to die in Korea, right? You say you kind yeah. of you say that at the end of I think it's chapter one or chapter two. Um, so I guess kind of just like walk us through the initial research, like your research process for this, because did you speak to? I mean, John Glenn died twenty sixteen, so that was what nine years ago. Um, I'm asking off on that seven, uh, and then Ted Williams passed in two thousand two. So is this? Did you talk to his family? Is this just like archival? How'd you, how how was the research process? I did talk to uh, Ted's only child child still alive is, do- is his daughter. Claudia. Uh, I talked Claudia to her, Rose. Claudia. Yeah. Um, uh, she had some very interesting insights into her dad. I mean, I, it, it was interesting because she his youngest daughter grew up when he was playing, but then he had his two other kids later in life, well after his playing career was over. So they never saw him as you know a baseball player. They knew him a, a little bit. Um, being around the Red Sox, not even as a manager, they were both born really when when he was uh, older. on the end older. of his, at the end yeah. of his run as a manager. So they knew him sort of as a you know as an old a guy, fisherman. a fisherman. Yeah, exactly <laughs> as a as a grumpy fisherman. Yeah, um, uh, and same thing. You know, both John Glenn's daughter and son were very very helpful, and they had a lot of interesting insights. Uh, but you know, a part of it was um, talking to people who knew them. Uh, there were actually three. There's actually three pilots. Who flew in this in these missions in Korea who were still alive and they're in their late nineties and I interviewed them, uh, so they gave an interesting perspective. I interviewed um, one guy who played with Ted Williams at the end of his career, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's hard to find living people who actually knew Ted his prime. You know, I interviewed some guys he fished with later in life. Um, <laughs> I interviewed one of his neighbors. Uh, I interviewed the guy who cooked him his meals when he was an old, you know, in basically recovering from heart surgery and really dying. Strokes, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't have a chance to talk to too many people who played with him or knew him during his playing career, uh, but a lot has been written about, you know, like you said, Ben Bradley's book, and, mm-hmm. and uh, Lee Montvale has a great biography of Ted Williams, and Ted wrote his own autobiography. Um, so a lot of, for the Ted Williams angle, I was able to get a lot that way, and, you know, uh, newspapers at the time, Ted did not get along great with the newspaper writers, yep, but they still yeah. covered him. Uh, unfortunately for me, it, particularly when he was um, sent to Korea, you know, there were like five newspapers in Boston at the time. So mm-hmm. every one of the reporters was getting quotes from him and interviewing him and asking him around for uh, for, for details on his service and what he was going to do. So Ted was... You know, we didn't have Twitter and we didn't have the internet and the ESPN and everything, but there were a lot more newspapers back then and a lot more guys actually going talking to sources. So that they, for Ted, I got a lot that way, and that was really yeah. helpful. Yeah, and I guess, and I don't want to jump around too much, but for Williams, for this time period, it's a lot easier to kind of pull stories because John Glenn wasn't as well, like John mm-hmm. Glenn at this time period isn't the John Glenn that we know today. Like you say, John Glenn today, okay, astronaut space, all that, politician. You say Ted Williams. Everyone knows who Ted Williams exactly. was at the time and now. So it's a little, it's a little, and they would follow him around. Like the press would follow him everywhere, <laughs> everywhere he went for the most part. Yeah. Even in, in Korea, um, you wouldn't expect this today. I mean, you, there's a million different, there's a million ways that this would never happen today. Like Mike Trout getting, you know, going over and serving in whatever war yeah. or whatever would obviously would never happen today. But even when Ted Williams was over in Korea and when he was here in the States retraining, he spent about eight months retraining on bases. He had to learn how to fly mm-hmm. jets. Um, so he was at bases in like Pennsylvania and North Carolina and then over in California uh, and reporters got to him there and he had a lot to say and they would sit down with him. But the, what I think was really useful for my book and kind of an amazing thing is there were reporters who sat down with him in Korea. Uh, they yeah, went over nuts. and for whatever, however, they were given permission to go to the base and interview him and do take photographs of him. There's a couple in the book. Um, it, it's kind of surprising. It wasn't, they weren't, weren't in a war zone, so to speak, because they were in South Korea and mm-hmm. the missions they flew would, were North into North Korea. Uh, yeah. But it was still, you know, they were fighting a war every day. Uh, yeah. And then it's also in the book, Ted gets sick. He gets pneumonia and a couple other um, illnesses that really uh, weigh him down. And, and he has to go to these Navy hospital ships to get a lot of treatment and recuperate, recuperate. And uh, one, some reporter was able to sit down with him for about an hour. And I have found unearthed this rare audio of it. So I have this, interview of ted williams in the hospital talking to a reporter um which was pretty cool to hear those kinds of things yeah i think that's the most interesting part of the book and if there's one thing that i was that i would say and i'm kind of like putting together a little review for the website is that it really isn't a baseball it really isn't a baseball book and it really Mm -hmm. touches upon i think a lot of just ted williams that no like you said 
most I'm a Red Sox fan. I think most Red Sox fans aren't aware of. Um, I know like there was the in 42 when he initially got drafted or whatever. There was a lot of he was getting, catching a lot of flack because mm-hmm. people felt that he didn't want to go. He was open about that too again in 1952, correct? Yeah. When he was they they changed it. Um, do you? And I couldn't tell from your writing. I assume no, but you didn't think there was any agenda, right? I mean, you you say kind of like the prologue. It's like he he stamped the name, the general stamped the name. Didn't realize it was Ted Williams. He gets the call. He says, "All right, he's going to war. I don't care." Like, but you kind you talk about it. like, do you think there was an agenda in forcing Williams into it? Into the I don't war think, or no? I don't think anybody will ever know for sure because all the principles are gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the story I uncovered in some old newspapers, and then I talked to this. He was a uh, he was a major at the time, the one who basically approved Williams's re- um, return, who did it mm-hmm. sort of by accident. He saw this Williams Williams. He found a file Williams, Williams Theodore. Theodore S. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. Well, he's 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 eligible to re, to go to to go into war. So yeah, we need bodies. So go ahead. Um, and then he finds out a couple of days later that it's Ted Williams because he probably wasn't a big baseball fan. Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't know that Theodore Williams was Ted Williams. Um, and there are other versions of the story, but I was able this one particular story I kind of believe to be true because I interviewed his son. His son had all these archives about it. He had written a diary. His dad had written a diary about it. Uh, so that seemed like a plausible story. Um, and it was just kind of an accident. I guess it's it, the way I look at it is it, it's very believable to me that it was an accident. And once they once the word got out, because what they did was they 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 sent the paperwork. Ted Williams, you're going to war. They actually sent it to Fenway Park, which was, should have been a tip off. Yeah, I that was <laughs> but, yeah the, the, the file. I have a copy of the actual file. It says. Theodore A. William, Theodore S. Williams, and then it says Fenway Park, Yorkie Boston. Way, yeah. <laughs> you figure somebody would have caught that, but no one caught it. Um, and then immediately it got into the to the to the press, and there were reporters all over it, and it was front page news. And I think once that happened, there was no way they could say, "Oh, wait, never mind," because it would have been it would look bad, yeah. Yeah, yep. it would have been a bad look. And then I think they spun it, and they probably spun it in the behind closed doors in a way that. Well, you know, we're sent. We'll send him to war. You know, maybe he won't even go into combat. We'll just send him back to bases and things. And it'll be good publicity for the Marines or mm-hmm. the military or everything. Uh, and Ted didn't want that. That's what you know. Ted probably he couldn't stop going back into the service. But I think if he didn't want to go into combat, he probably could have found a way out of it. And many times that. he said. That's not what he wanted. If he was going to miss a year of his baseball career and maybe the rest of his baseball career, he wanted to do something worthwhile and he wanted to challenge himself. Again, this is not to get too technical with it, but this is the very, very early years of the jet age, beginning of the jet age. And jets were brand new and very enticing to a pilot. You know, they had been flying planes that didn't really go more than three or 400 miles an hour and didn't have great maneuverability. And then the jet comes out and I think he really was intrigued by the opportunity to fly a jet uh, and be trained to fly a jet. Uh, so I think that was one of the reasons why he was more willing to go into the, to the combat side of it, not just missing his baseball career. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was, um, a very unusual circumstances that he gets recalled, uh, that I don't think would be repeated today. Yeah. And I thought that's, that's, again, I like Williams. I get the, um, the frustration, some historians, I guess, or just fans in general, like the way he acted uh but it's admirable because he could have had a desk job i think yeah. it says it's like he and he's like no if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna i'm gonna go fight um what i thought was unique and then i want to start kind of jumping into like his as i'm almost progressing through the book where we, you introduced john glenn but what i thought was interesting is that he could have avoid he could have resigned multiple times from yeah. the military, correct yeah so he, did you unearth anything with why he didn't do that no, I, I, what I, the only thing that I really understood was he wasn't the only one. So they were, again, I don't want to bog your listeners down with too much details, but they, everybody went to World War II. Like if you were an able-bodied American, you went to World War II. Uh, and a lot of these guys, when the war ended, they had this opportunity to join what was called the volunteer. This is just for the Marine Corps and the Navy. Uh, they, they could join this they could transfer their status to what was called a volunteer reserve, which meant they could stay in the Marine Corps. They could keep their rank. They could keep their pay grade that, you know, they got a little bit of money. I think they caught, probably kept some benefits. I don't know exactly what the benefits were like, you know, health and not probably not health insurance or a pension. I don't know. They could maybe work towards a military pension. I don't know. And that was appealing mm-hmm. to a lot of guys. Uh, and it was appealing to, to keep the rank of, you know, Ted Williams had become a captain. Um, mm-hmm. So he, 
wanted to keep the rank. And I think Ted Williams was not the only one of these volunteer reserves who got recalled. A lot of the guys in the book who I talk about were, they were just regular Joes. You know, one was a real estate guy and one was an insurance salesman and all that. Uh, but they, I think they all liked to keep their status as an active Marine. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to go on like weekend retreats and they didn't have to fly mm-hmm. planes and they didn't have to do any training or classes, but they kept their status. Um, and I think that's why Ted did. I think Ted liked being still in the Marines. And the other thing yeah. is Ted says this at some point. Um, he says the only way, you know, someone told me the only way I would ever get called back is if we went into a war. And a lot of people, technically the Korean war was never was a, a war, war yep. to begin with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think people at home in the States, uh, it wasn't considered, it wasn't like World War II. It wasn't considered the, the same thing. We so were, he never we were thought attacked. he get called was, back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was um, part of uh, part of the, 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 the situation with Ted was that he never thought he was going to get called back again. Yeah. No, I, I reading, I, I know, obviously I'd known about his experience in the Korean War. I actually have family members who, like have family members who served with him and and had rela- not relationships but somewhat friends with, friendships with him uh so i had background knowledge of it but the extent of kind of like how he dove into it and everything is is really interesting but i want to kind of touch now on like what drew you to the williams john glenn relationship like what what where did you kind of you came across the photo you said and then you just kind of like dove right into it yeah i'm well i, I- I, I was interested in learning more. And when I started reading more about, it wasn't just that they served together as they had this friendship. Um, you know, I, when you do books, like when you do books for profit for uh, a mass audience, you, you, you it, it's good to have a calling card, like someone like Ted Williams or John Glenn to be part of the story. Yeah. And uh, once I realized that this was sort of an untold chapter of both sort of these two giants lives it's not it's not like no one knew this in, in ted williams biographies it's mentioned in john glenn's autobiography he mentions it when in obituaries for both guys it may or may not be mentioned uh so it's, it's not like i uncovered some fact that no one knew but it had never been explored at the depth that i did and i did find a lot of different uh angles and a lot of different episodes i look at their relationship as very sort of episodic they had these times in each other's lives where they 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 met or they they visited each other or they were there for one another and uh that's sort of the just gist of their relationship and i don't think anyone had put it quite that well put it you know with that much detail that much depth and i also put the book i i, I guess um if you if you you saw my bio you, you saw i did a book on joe montana and steve young uh the mm-hmm. great quarterback controversy of the late 80s and early 90s and um, that was probably the, my favorite book that I did before this book. Uh, and it was fun because, you know, I'm, I'm a big baseball history fan, but I'm also a big NFL fan and uh, uh, real passionate about the NFL. And I kind of grew up during that era. And the details of Steve Young taking Joe Montana's job and all the drama there, and they both won Super Bowls and they were both great quarterbacks and they kept Steve Young basically kept the 49er dynasty going, uh, was really interesting. But what I loved more than anything about that was these two guys were completely different in every way. And it was sort of poetic that Joe Montana was right-handed and Steve Young was left-handed. Um, so there was, I love that doing that book because it was a chance to take two guys who were completely different and they had completely different approaches to life and to football and everything and just their day-to-day, their daily activities and pairing them and just sort of juxtaposing them. And, and you, you couldn't, you can't take one of them and say, well, this is why he was successful because the other one was very successful and was completely opposite. And so I kind of like these stories of two people who are unlikely pairs and um, how, whether they get along or they don't get along, what could they can achieve together, how you look at them side by side. And this was kind of another version of that was, John Glenn and Ted Williams were in in physical description, in their mentality, in their approach to life, their approach to meeting strangers, their approach to their how they treated their wives, how they treated their children. It's completely politics, different. All of that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> politics, um, everything. You know, again, Ted, Ted Williams was tall, confident, uh, big head of hair, uh, big deep booming voice. John Glenn was short. He was losing his hair very young. He was very sort of quiet and meek and didn't yell and swear and didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do anything. Um, Ted Williams was the complete opposite. And uh, I like not only them serving the military together, flying on each other's wing. The, the wingman mm-hmm. is 
they flew in these pairs together. Uh, but I also like that they had this friendship. Um, and I, I think about, I, I've thought a lot about, you know, some of my closest friends are completely different from me. You know, they, they say opposites attract. And I think that was something that sort of a, a theme that run ran through the book was how different Ted Williams and John Glenn were. And despite that, uh, they were great military buddies. They were successful in the military together and they were friends for 50 years. Yeah. And, I, and again, I think it's important to know for like the listeners, it's like John Glenn wasn't a famous astronaut at the time. Mm-hmm. He was just, he, he fought in World War II, correct? Yeah. He was mm-hmm. a pilot in World War II. He was a, a he real was, hero in World War II, for sure. He was, he was, thir- he was 30, 31, 32, around there when Korea when he goes War back to Korea, yeah, he was, yeah. He was 31. Ted was 33. They were about two and a half years apart. Yeah. So d- dive quickly just into John Glenn's war background real mm-hmm. quick and then we'll kind of go forward because that's something I wasn't I wasn't fully aware of. Yeah, uh, I didn't know much about the early years of John Glenn either. Uh he was from the day he was like 5 years old, he was obsessed with flying and he loved to fly and he did every even before World War II broke out, he wanted to be a pilot. Uh he got his civilian's pilot license before, you know, 6 months before uh Pearl Harbor was bombed. Um, and then once Pearl Harbor and America enters World War II, it was natural that he was going to become a fighter pilot and, and first in the Navy. And then after World War II, he's a, a Marine um, <clears throat> and he stayed in the Marines. He, he didn't when when the World War II ended, he wasn't discharged. He decided this is my career. I'll be a, you know, a, a Marine Corps pilot for life. Um, and he trained and he became, you know, they were grooming him for big things. And when Korea br- broke out, uh, they didn't want to send him. Um, I don't know specifically there's, I haven't ever found any evidence that, you know, the higher ups said, let's not send him because one day he'll be a general or, you know, one day he'll be whatever, very high up in the Marine Corps. It wasn't something like that. I'm just not sure why they didn't send him, but they didn't send him. And he begged them to send him. He wrote letters to his superiors saying, why am I training to be a Marine if I'm not going to serve? I have all this knowledge. I have all this uh, training and experience. Send me to Korea, which was the complete opposite of Ted Williams. Oh, Williams. Ted Williams basically <laughs> writing, he, had, he had hired a lawyer to get him out of going to Korea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Up until so, like the last moment, right? Until yeah, he was yeah. in Korea, he was trying to get out of it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that That's, uh, I think after a while he gave up, but um, yeah, he, Ted Williams did everything to get out of Korea. And so that was sort of an early start for this strange juxtaposition of the two that Ted Williams begged to get out of Korea and Ted Williams, John Glenn begged to go. Um, And so he goes and he had a very prominent role within his squadron, uh, but he was, you know, a lifer in the Marine Corps. And he did a great job with, with the squadron that he was within with Ted. And then he was so well-trained and well-gifted at, at fighting flying pilot, um, flying combat jets that they sent him to the air force for a special assignment where, you know, it's very technical stuff that he would, they were shooting down enemy planes. Um, and when he returned, he became a test pilot and set some, some record major records that caught the attention of the NASA people. And from then it's the rest is history. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, uh, as determined and driven and persistent as anyone you'll come across. Yeah. So now talk, uh, let's talk about the relate. They're both in Korea now, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about the relationship. Like what they again, they 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 end up being women wingmen, obviously. Uh, but just kind of give the listeners a little little background into like little stories. Like what 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 would you say is your favorite story about their time in Korea? Well, I think the, the thing that I love most is um this story. You know, they they there were probably 40 pilots in their squadron. Uh they, there weren't there were only pilots, there weren't uh enlisted men or they were over there but not in their actual squadron. So they mostly just hung out with other pilots and they would go on missions. Sometimes it was three or four pilots and sometimes it was 20 pilots. Um but they obviously all of them, you know, developed friendships over time. Um and John Glenn and Ted Williams didn't fly many missions together in the first couple months. Ted Williams got sick, uh, so he missed time. He, he left the base, um, and Ted Williams and John Glenn was flying missions. Uh, then they fly this mission together where it's in the book. I think your readers, your listeners, will enjoy it. It's a good story that uh, Ted Williams almost John Glenn thought Ted Williams got him was going to get him court-martialed for firing on enemy on friendly fire firing on American troops, which didn't happen, but he thought it did. Um, so they have these missions, these interesting missions. There's another one where Ted Williams plane basically crashes, but John Glenn helps guide him back to base. 
but this is from a story I, I had never seen or read or anything. But at Ted Williams' public funeral, he has a public memorial at Fenway Park a couple of weeks Fenway, after he yeah. died. And one of the speakers was John Glenn. Uh, and he told about, you know, why he respected Ted and all these things. Um, but he told this story that's told in depth in the book about uh, they went on, they had R&R, Rest and Re- Recreation, which is a normal thing for uh, military servicemen. And because they were in Korea, they always did R&R over in Japan. And uh, they went on R&R and they ran into these J- Japanese kids who recognized Ted Williams uh, because Japan had already gotten into baseball. They already got baseball, yep. Yeah. So they recognized Ted Williams. And uh, John Glenn tells this elaborate story that I got video of. And, and it was really great to see him tell the story that Ted Williams basically played – shadow ball with these kids there was no ball or bat but they did the mimicking of ted williams pitch to these kids and this one kid hit a home run and and it it was this great scene and i think that was when john glenn really began to feel an appreciation for ted williams ted you see i i I haven't really talked about this in it's not really in the book and i've done a handful of interviews and i haven't really said this but i think i realized um recently that i don't think john glenn was a baseball fan um i know he had appreciation for baseball he went to baseball games. He saw Ted Williams play a couple times. Uh, he threw out the first pitch several times games. He liked, I know he liked basketball and I know he liked football. He played college football. Um, I've saw this photo of him with Charles Barkley back when Charles Barkley was in Auburn. Uh, so I think he was a big basketball fan. I don't think he was a baseball fan. So I don't think his admiration and, uh, and respect and interest in Ted Williams had anything to do with baseball. He certainly knew who he was. He knew he was a celebrity. He knew he was a, a great ball player, but I don't think that was something that really drew Ted John Glenn to Ted Williams. It was all these other things. It was his heroism as a pilot. Uh, I think it was his dedication to working as to learning how to become a pilot when he wasn't, you know, he's a baseball player. He wasn't a pilot and it wasn't a Marine. He was a baseball player who was just sort of tangentially still with the, with the Marines. Um, And then he saw how he acted with these kids. And then later on he saw he did everything he did for the Jimmy fund. He probably heard stories about how Ted Williams used to go visit kids in the hospital. Um, And so I think that's, that was the, the thing for me was that story sort of is the real catalyst for their friendship. It's not, it's they flew missions and they were in Korea together and everything. But I think when John Glenn started to see Ted Williams as more than just a ball player, more than just a Marine, that he really started to take an interest in this guy. Yeah, it's interesting to bring up that story because Brett, who has been most mostly silent because he's not a Red Sox Ted Williams guy. The one <laughs> thing he knew about Ted Williams was that he would visit kids in the hospital, the Jimmy Fund. He visit um, Marines, veterans in the hospitals. Uh, so that's like the human side of Ted Williams that isn't covered very much because he didn't want to be covered because he didn't want the press following him, mm-hmm. <laughs> following him around and getting, getting the credit for that. Uh, and I feel like it, you hear more about Ted Williams going to Key West and going on a boat by himself for like three weeks and being late <laughs> to his child's birth. Yeah. You hear about all, all, the, all the good stuff that he did for, for kids and for, and for fellow soldiers as well. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. The Japanese, kind of getting baseball i didn't realize that until i I watched uh ken burns documentary with Mm -hmm. babe ruth babe ruth and those guys going over there i guess it was like the late 20s early 30s and then Mm -hmm. post world war ii americanized industrial like all that Mm -hmm. baseball kind of comes in in a larger role so post post korean war they come home williams goes back goes back to baseball uh talk about like their relationship now back in the states so th- this is what I found was was actually kind of a challenging part of the book was um, they weren't really connected for many years. I, I don't think they had a, necessarily had a falling out, but uh, like I said, you know, Ted goes back to playing baseball and then he, he goes on this sort of lap of luxury lifestyle where he works for Sears um, and his whole job is to fish, golf, play tennis and play baseball, record baseball instructional videos. Um, and he could travel wherever he wants. He went all over the world. And, and at the same time, John Glenn, you know, military test pilot, then he goes to NASA and then eventually he becomes a senator. So there's this long period in their French, in their relationship where they don't see much of each other. And I think that's, you know, understandable. Uh, I think a lot of people can relate to that because, you know, you grow up, you have, get married, you have kids. You're, you're busy with all those things. The, the, you know, real life takes a hold and you lose contact with people. I think we all probably experience that in some way. Um, and that was kind of a point where I was like, well, is this a book? Like, it's a great story. I, I guess um, maybe, you know, 
they they flew together and, and they were friends and and then that's kind of the end of the story. Um, but then the more work I did was later on, particularly when Ted Williams is getting older and sort of tame, more a little more tame, um, mm-hmm. and then he, then he gets sick. But they have this reconnection. It begins with um, well, it begins with John Glenn running for president and asking. Ted Williams, someone on Ted Williams, on John Glenn's staff asked him to endorse him for president. And he says, no. Uh, and I think that was, that's a really interesting part of the book. Um, and then the story could end there, but then they, again, the, the, the Jimmy fund, they, they bring Ted Williams out for this ceremonial 70th birthday slash honoring him for all his work for the Jimmy fund. And one of the speakers is John Glenn who gets on stage and tells these great stories. And that's the point where I think they sort of get back in each other's lives and they go, you know, Ted Williams is in Florida and John Glenn goes and visits him and they, they have these interactions and then John Glenn goes back to space. And one of the first people he goes is he invites Ted Williams to come. And uh, I don't know how well your listeners may remember this. I don't know how old you guys are if you remember this, but when John Glenn went back to space, I remember it being a big deal. Um, 77 years old. I remember uh, I used to watch SNL and they did weekend update and it was a 77 year old guy going back to space and they were making jokes that like, he's going to be the first person to break his hip in space. Um, and <laughs> I was, remember that was, that was a big deal. Was that 97? 98. Okay. Um, and Bill Clinton, it was, it was right around the Lewinsky scandal. And I think Bill Good. Clinton was happy to jump on it <laughs> and, and draw the attention away from him. Um, and it was it was major news. And one of the people who's there is Ted Williams, and he's in a wheelchair and he's feeble, and he did not, you know, he could not travel well, and he still had to be there. Uh, yeah. And again, you know, they talk on the phone. When Ted Williams gets sick, one of the people who comes and visits him in the hospital several times is John Glenn, uh, and it's just an interesting. Rel- relationship and that it was dormant for many years is the way I would like to look at it. And then when Ted Williams needed John Glenn, he was there. Um, And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. uh, But, you know, if your listeners probably, you know, if any of your listeners are Red Sox fans, they know all about Ted Williams head and being frozen uh, and what a big deal that was. Uh, That was major news. Uh, The book I pointed out some of like, it was on Letterman's top 10 top. It was like top 10, good things about having your head frozen or something like that. Uh, an ugly period in a terrible way for Ted Williams legacy to end. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to write about that in the book just to write about it. Cause I know it, it was a sensitive topic for a lot of people, particularly his family, but then also his close friends. And it, it was ugly. And Ben Bradley did a great job covering that in depth and really, yeah. he did like a investigative reports on it. Um, so did Tom Verducci with SI at the time. And so I wasn't really interested in rehashing that, but then I found out that um, again, Ted Williams had three children <clears throat> by two different wives, and the first daughter was the older daughter. And um, <clears throat> when all Bob, this was Bobby going Joe. on, Bobby, Bobby Joe, Joe, yeah, Bobby, Bobby Joe, Joe was yeah. uh, totally against the, the freezing stuff. Yes, and Claudia and John, Claudia and John it. Henry were the ones behind it. And when all this is in the news, very fresh in the news, like a week, no one knew anything about this. He died on the fifth of July. And on the 6th of July, it was in the newspapers, Ted Williams is going to be frozen because his daughter wants it. It was all over the news. And then over for a couple of weeks, it was like you couldn't pick up the Boston Globe or even ESPN, I remember, had stuff um, without hearing about Ted Williams' frozen head. And I found that his youngest, his oldest daughter, Bobby Joe, goes on TV and takes out a website and has this organization called Ted Williams' Last Wish. And her the whole thing is – don't freeze my dad like the other kid. But she says, John Glenn, I'm calling on you to stop this. You need to be my daddy's wingman. He was your wingman in Korea. I, he needs a wingman now. You need to step forward and say this is wrong and do whatever we can because you know, you're know you a former United States senator and you have all this yeah. power. Yeah. And nothing yep. comes of it, obviously, because John Glenn was smart enough to not to get involved in not that. Not get involved, but yeah. I just thought it was so fitting that um, – not only did she say she literally did say um my daddy needs a wingman which is like fitting yeah. for the book <laughs> yes <laughs> but th- that uh that that was who she called out she called out john glenn um and it, it spoke to me at least that you know that his the friendship you know there may not i might not have records of them going to hawaii together and you know playing golf together and you know they they you know they they talked they had dinners every saturday night or they had lunch every thursday you know i didn't find any archives like that but that spoke to me just as much as that would have been yeah 
No, I think that's the beauty of the, of the relationship, honestly, is like the how long lasting it is from just their experience there in Korea, where again, if it, if it was in a modern, like me and Brett, we grew up together, but we live apart now. We're mm-hmm. able to Zoom, we're able to do this podcast, we're able to do everything together. They they were two, I mean, superstar celebrities in a way, if you want to say that, um, that weren't able, they're not really able to commu- commu- communicate with each other, tr- and with each other consistently back then. Uh, but what what I find interesting too is, I don't I don't want to get political, but it's not going to get political. Ted Williams is described as like as far right as Attila the Hun. I think there's yeah. a quote that says that. And yeah. John Glenn's obviously he was a Democratic senator. That yeah. doesn't seem to really affect their relationship in any major like they're able to kind of get past that, especially towards the ends of their lives, right? Yeah. Like, well, you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm. I've been very careful as well. It's like I don't want to yeah. come off like this is you know I, I, you know something about Trump or about whatever. Yeah. Like I'm not yeah. gonna like. I'm smart enough to stay away from that. Ver- you know, Democrats hate Republicans or vice yeah. versa. Um, but you're right that they were able to set their differences aside. I also think I, I won't I'm not going to be naive enough to say that I think 20, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, particularly when they were going at it in political conversations, I think things were more civil and um, people weren't as emotional about, you know, you're a Democrat, I won't talk to you, you're a Republican, I won't talk to you. Um, yeah. So I don't know if their relationship today would have survived. <laughs> I, yeah. I probably imagine that Ted Williams would have been a big Trump supporter is my guess. <laughs> um, Prob- so, <laughs> so I don't know if John Glenn would have been able to talk to him at that time. Uh, but it, But in their day, uh, they definitely John Glenn says something like we had some real ha- we hashed out some real political discussions and uh, you know those would have been very interesting to be a fly on the wall during that those times um, but it did survive and I I think they were able to and it may have been that generation was better about it or or the times were better where we didn't have twenty four hour news cable and all that stuff uh, I don't know but they were able to set those set their baggage down you know, lay their, their weapons down when it came to whatever political debate they were arguing over. Um, and it it does speak to, you know, that I think both a different time, but also the character of both these guys. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much. So I'll, I have a couple more questions, uh, that I want to ask. What's the biggest, biggest challenge writing this book? You kind of touched that at the beginning, but was, did you find that, like you said, you hit, you, you hit a writer's wall at one point, right? Like, and kind of in the middle, like they get back from the war. Mm-hmm. Is that where you felt like the biggest challenge was? Was like, okay, how do I continue this story? Yeah, I think that was certainly um, leaving. A, I mean, it's really like a thirty-year blank spot. Um, and I guess not to like pull back the curtain on it, but I, I I solved the problem by explaining who they you know more into who their person what their personalities were, and particularly how different they were and. Um, what life events made that possible. And uh, the middle of the book is a lot about, um, it's a lot about their political sensibilities, where John Glenn becomes a, Repub- a Democrat and why and how he gets into politics. And the same thing, John Ted Williams didn't get into politics, but he was very active in politics and why mm-hmm. he was such a hardcore Republican and how he became friends with Nixon and helped get George Bush elected the first time and really the second time that yeah. George Bush <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of the middle of the book. And, and I solved it that, that way, but I also, it wasn't just that it was that to reveal more about their personality, what they shared. And I think if you read the book, you'll see this sort of blank period of the, basically the fifties, sixties and seventies shows a common thread between the two of them, that they're both really obsessive and perfectionist about their, about everything. Uh, I think we knew that a lot about Ted Williams. And I think if you learn anything about John Glenn, you learn that. Um, And this is, I think, a sort of a theme in the book that draws them together is they're both obsessive about doing things right and not caring about, in in a way, not caring about what others think. If it was going to be done, it was going to be done right. And I think most people probably know that about Ted Williams. And I think it was also true about John Glenn. And so you're right. That was probably the biggest challenge. There were many other challenges to this. particularly uh, both guys being dead. Um, I would have loved to have had, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I wish I had a time machine for different reasons. If I, now, if I wish I had a time machine, it would have been to sit down with Ted Williams for an hour or sit down with John Glenn for an hour. Um, so that was certainly challenging. But um, 
You know, the the, the one thing that I learned was <clears throat> there are archives out there that sort of stay finite. And by that, I mean, if you pick up a newspaper from 1953 and you get quotes from John Glenn or Ted Williams about something, you know, they're preserved. They they were in the moments, you know, <clears throat> there was a mission Ted Williams flew and a reporter was able to ask him that like right after the mission. I don't know how, but he was there. Like, how was the mission? And he told him, he gave him some details. If I had interviewed Ted Williams even two, three years ago, if he was still alive, he a, either may not have remembered a thing about it or he would have just had conflated some other mission, the likelihood that the details in that were very rich are pretty low. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that I was fortunate to do with the book that because they were sort of preserved, um, that they were, they were really helpful to telling the story. Uh, so not having the ability to interview a lot of these people, not just Ted Williams, John Glenn, but you know, John Glenn's wife or Ted Williams, first wife or Bobby Joe or whoever, John Henry, who I'm sure you guys know uh, about, and he would be a mm. big, he's a big figure in the later chapters. Uh, yeah. I couldn't interview any of them, but because I was able to get a lot of archives and, and other people had done the heavy lifting on doing reports back then. It was, it was fortunate. So that was sort of one challenge that I was able to overcome. Yeah. I think you had the way you handled the whole Williams family kind of situation, I thought was very well done. I, I, I think my only experience with reading it was from the Bradley book. Mm -hmm. So I, I had that kind of background knowledge. Um, I think it's, I, I love this book and because again i'm a huge ted williams fan so and it motivates me because i'm writing uh i have a theater roosevelt book right mm -hmm. we're working on a book and you're you're kind of taking this one little fact that i feel like is just the then you're adding this huge addition to both of their legacies in my opinion particularly ted williams like i think adding this will help ted williams legacy and that's kind of my next question is how do you how do you think their legacies have evolved but particularly like do you do you hope that readers will view them differently after reading this book well i i think with ted yes um i i think his i don't know if his legacy has evolved or not um i think there are people who had 20 years ago 40 years ago had a negative view of ted williams um for good reason i would think uh either they had an encounter with him that was negative which is highly probable yeah. or, or they didn't like him as a ball player maybe they were just a yankees fan i don't know um but a lot of people didn't like Ted Williams. Uh, and, and one of those pilots who I said I interviewed, um, he, it's in the, the quotes in the book for, your re for people to pick up and read. He did not like Ted Williams at all. Um, so I, I get that. But I think his legacy is very complicated because his, his interactions, his personality, his day-to-day -day life was brusque, and he turned a lot of people off. But to your question, um, his legacy to me is if you take away the baseball and you take away whatever negative things you have to say about him, he was a very kind hearted person. We talked about the Jimmy fund. I think he, he didn't do that for publicity. He, he like you said, he actively avoided publicity and said, if you have cameras here, I'm leaving. Um, and he inspired other people to do that. He, he inspired a lot of other Red Sox to go to hospitals and visit sick kids without cameras, which would never happen today. I mean, I just saw something about Bill Parcells, um, how he, he did all these things to help people with, four with million, uh, former like four players. Dollars, right? and it, yeah. He didn't do it. For nobody like he didn't do it for publicity. And I don't think he did it for publicity because I've actually interviewed Bill Parcells. But it was kind of funny to me that it was all over the Internet that he was getting the credit for it when he didn't really want the credit for it. You know what I yeah. mean? And Ted Williams was the same way. Uh, he didn't do those things for credit. And it was easier for him to hide from it back then because reporters wouldn't have snapped his photo if he asked him. Today, that would mm -hmm. never happen. Um, no. And yeah. so I think that's the thing about his legacy. Uh, not, And you know, I told that story about him with the kids in Japan. He gave a lot of those kids stories they were telling for the rest of their lives. Uh, he, he wrote checks anonymously to people who needed money. His daughter told me that there were a lot of old ball players not superstars, guys who you know had a cup of coffee with one team who couldn't pay their medical bills or whatever. And Ted Williams sent them cash um, because they needed it and he had, he could afford it. Uh, so I think if you if you look at Ted Williams' overall legacy, you have to take it the good with the bad. Um, it wasn't just that he spit at fans and that he threw a baseball at fans <laughs> and that he hated reporters, which is what a lot of people remember about him. Yeah. Um, he did a lot of other great things. And, and if you pick up the book, you'll see uh, all the times he visited kids in the hospital, promised them home runs, um, you know, kids who were getting polio and things like that. 
Uh, and so that's his, that's how I hope his legacy evolves. I, and I don't mean to be a downer about it. Um, but I think the, the flip side to that is his legacy is, is, is the frozen head and frozen body. Yes. That's yeah. Well, yeah. a terrible, terrible, yeah. it's terrible, but I, you know, there are there are people who they remember. That's what they know about Ted Williams. Um, they yep. know he's a great baseball player who got frozen and they lopped his head off. I was yep, inter- I was out to dinner with a friend of Ted Williams a couple uh, earlier this year. He was a great resource for me on the book. Really nice guy, a Marine uh, who knew Ted Williams very well in the later years of his life. Very uh, uh, baseball history expert. Um, and we went out to dinner together. Um, you know, we were talking. I was showing him stuff in the book. We, we hung out a couple times. <laughs> and uh, he knew the owner of the restaurant and he inter- he came with hey, meet the owner of the restaurant. Um, this is Adam. He's doing this book on Ted Williams and John Glenn and their service in the military. And the first thing the restaurant owner said to me was, did they really freeze his head? And I thought to myself, like, geez, this is like, like for that it's to be a, the way people so, remember him. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's so, so unfortunate. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, and not not that he served in two wars and that he did all these great things and he was the greatest hitter of all time, which yep. I still believe, and I'm sure your listeners are going to write me. We have, a lot of Red, we have a lot of Red Sox fans that okay, listen. So I, you, I mean, you I, I feel that, like yeah. there are those fans out there who think Ted Williams, you know, couldn't hit 250 today. Um, no, it's ridiculous. So it, it's, uh, it's terrible that that's his legacy. And with John Glenn, I'll, I'll be very brief because it's, it's very simple. Um, People remember John Glenn as a Boy Scout. If you watch the right stuff, that was kind of the inside joke among the astronauts that he was a Boy Scout and he never did anything wrong. That's not quite true, but it's as close to true as it is about anybody you'll find. He mm-hmm. was every bit the American icon, American hero, Mr. Integrity uh, that that history really records him as. So his legacy, I don't think, deserve, needs any improvement or changing or altering because his legacy, no one has anything negative to say about John Glenn for the most part. And I think that's with good reason. Yeah, my sister, uh, your publicist sent us two books. I'm giving away one of them. She read the one after I read it. And she was like, these guys are two completely different humans. She was just, she was enamored at like the difference between them. And I I think that Mm -hmm. when you speak about their legacy, that kind of points out. Um, All right, so what's next for you? You, You're you're in what you're going to Washington soon. Yeah. I'll be, if you have any, uh, DC listeners, I'll be, uh, in Washington for three days, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, doing a a book signing at Kramer books, um, in in DC and then old town books in Arlington and then people's books in Tacoma park. And then I'm actually, uh, if you have a lot of Red Sox fans, I am, uh, appearing at, uh, the Reading public library in Massachusetts, which is outside of Boston. But then I'm also, appearing at the Red Sox, the Worcester, the Worcester Red Sox minor league stadium doing some signing and I'll do some media there. So if you have any listeners out that way, September when? 12th, um, I'll be out yeah, there. Right so we play the Syracuse minor league team. I'm not sure uh, who, what Syracuse team name That's is, but I'll be out there talking about the book. Um, so yeah. And then I'm doing a couple book festivals here and there, one in Delaware, one in Cincinnati, one down here in Atlanta, uh, trying to get as many people interested in the book as possible. I, I feel like I've, I've been very fortunate. You know, baseball people have jumped in the book. Uh, yeah. I've gotten a lot of interested people from the baseball yep. element because Ted Williams is, you know, a Mount Rushmore he's, baseball player. He's one of the most interesting, interesting players that you could you could talk about. Um, yeah, I saw Freezing Cold Takes retweeted you or retweeted someone who had your book the other day. And that yeah. got shout out to a bunch. That got shout out to a bunch of people. Uh, anything else upcoming in terms of in terms of like, do you have plans to do more baseball books after this? That's a good question. Um, I don't have. I never have plans to do any kind of book. Um, I don't want to bore your readers with the details of how the literary process works or anything. Um, I I try to find projects that I am passionate about that really intrigue me, uh, but also that I think will intrigue a publisher and the mass audiences um you know i I, i'd love to do ken griffey autobiography or a book on you know george brett or whatever uh topic is out there if it came my way um you know that's kind of the problem with you know i again i i don't know if if somebody i don't think anyone's done a, a griffey biography i would love to do a book on ken griffey jr 
You know, he's mm-hmm. the, the he's so he's the the underappreciated ball player in of, of my generation, I think, because Sosa and McGuire and then Bonds totally overshadowed everything he did, I think. Um, and but, you know, it's a lot harder to do a book that these days on someone who's alive and wants to have their say. And I don't know if yeah. I could get 10 minutes with King Griffey Jr. I don't know if I could get, you know, six months with King Griffey Jr. I think it'd be really <laughs> challenging. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a a daunting task. I said earlier that one of the biggest challenges with Ted Williams, John Glenn, not being alive. Uh, but in some ways that was a real bonus for writing this book because I didn't have to go through their publicist and their publicist communications director and, and the person who books their speaking tours and their assistant, um, because that can make it, you know, that takes, that takes a lot of the fun out of it, um, to, to do a a massive project to end up doors shut in your face because you don't have you know, the right connections or the right access. Um, so I don't know. I'm still waiting to decide what I want to do next. Um, but yeah, I would love to do another baseball book. I'll be patiently waiting for that. So again, I, again, I think this is just a great addition to the story of particularly Ted Williams, but also John Glenn. Um, so all of our, all of our listeners definitely go pick it up. The wingmen, where can they get it? Amazon, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Book a Million. If you go to my website, which is just adamlazarusbooks.com, there's links for it all over. And you don't even have to click on anything. If you just go to Adam Lazarus Books, a a pop-up will come on and it'll say order now. And you can just click on that. Cool. And one of our one of our followers will get uh, this book. We'll be doing a giveaway when this podcast comes out on Wednesday. You guys will be listening to this. So go on Twitter. Uh, where, where's the best place for them to find you? Is it Twitter? You seem pretty yeah, active Twitter. there. Uh, at Twitter is Lazarus A57. Uh, I just have had that for a long time. I didn't want to start all over. And, uh, you can also I'm you. on Instagram at Adam Lazarus Books. So you can go there. Um, but you know, you're, whoever wins your... Um, your contest for the book, have them email me, give them my email address and I will sign it for them. I can get them a, a, what's called a book plate, which is like a sticker that you put inside the book and I'll sign it dedicated. However, however they want. Got it. Let me write that down right now. We'll get a sign. Uh, and the email that you gave me, that's okay to shoot that to them. Yeah. Cool. Give it to them. Awesome. Uh, anything else you got? No. Who do, you got, uh, who do you got MVP this year in the National League? In the National League, I, I I hate to sound like a a, a homer because I'm uh, in Atlanta. I'm not a Braves fan, so I guess I can get away with it. I don't see how it can't be Acuna. Okay, uh, all right. But I, okay. I don't know. I mean, yeah, Bet- Mookie Betts went bonkers in August, and I get that. Uh, but I don't know. The funny thing is, it's like uh, you could say, well, well, Mookie Betts has Freddie Freeman in the lineup, but then. Acuna has Matt Olson in the lineup. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's like tit for tat. Honestly, the Braves lineup is is way better. Brent, let's but get, it's, let's it's, get you it's in only, here. Right, it's only Acuna or, or Mookie Betts, right? It can't. I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think Freeman and Olson are kind. Of, they, for for like two weeks, I would say they're Freeman and Olson were when when Olson was projected projected to hit sixty home runs. Yeah, for like those two days, that was when it was like Matt Olson might if he said if he hit sixty home runs, is he the is yeah, he the MVP? Then when Freeman was going going off as well, it's like, oh, if he keeps this up, is he's got a higher war than Acuna right now? Is he the MVP? I think they're both by the wayside. I think it's gonna be really tough for Betts because just the the, the thirty sixty home run stolen base being the only player to do that. Like yeah. once you get a stat like that, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for him. And I like Acuna, I like Betts. So Brent, jump in real quick. I was just gonna say, Adam's got some scent. We've been having this argument on the podcast the last month about bets. I've been bets. Acuna. Yeah, he's a big bets guy, and I'm a big Acuna guy. So you're with I me. I just don't. Uh, I mean, uh, it's kind of. I think Acuna's stealing bases partly to pad his stats, uh, but you can't discount That's how. What I think. <laughs> yeah, I think. He, but I, you can't discount the effect that that has. No, I know. I mean, if yeah. he's getting out of double plays and he's bringing, getting more runs because of it, like maybe he is doing it for stats, but it certainly helps the ball club. So, yeah. All right, I agree. I <laughs> I agree with that. Well, um, I guess you know they're both going to win their division by multi, you know double digit w- games or whatever. So, um, I don't know. I, I guess. I want them. I want the writers to wait until after the NLCS to vote. Yeah, that would whoever, be nice whoever, if they did that. Yeah, <laughs> whoever whoever wins the NLCS. All right, Adam, great having you on. Uh, love to have you again. Love to keep an eye on whatever you're reading. Uh, everyone, the Wingmen, Adam Lazarus, check it out. Uh, we'll have the giveaway in the Twitter and just follow follow them everywhere. Thank you again. Right. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Have a good one. See if that works.